0: The Cleveland Browns came out and beat the living tar out of the Arizona Cardinals. But the question is can they tar and feather another bird this week? You're listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast, an iconoclastic look at the latest Cleveland Browns news. The What the Elf Was That podcast is part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here's your host, Joel Cade. All right, welcome back to this edition of What the Elf Was That? That's right, everybody. We all saw it on Sunday, the absolute dismantling of the Arizona Cardinals by the Cleveland Browns. And did you notice something that happened besides Deshaun Watson playing? Did you notice that the defense all of a sudden got a lot better? One, they're playing the Arizona Cardinals who just aren't good. But... Two, when your offense moves the ball, (laughs) all of a sudden your defense is fresh, they look better, they play better, and they have better stats. It's almost as if having Deshaun Watson has elevated the play of the defense. But I'm getting ahead of myself. On today's show, we are going to chat up some Deshaun Watson, some Miles Garrett, some of my favorite running back. You've heard me hate on him for the last... I don't know, probably month, Jerome Ford showed his weird, his ugly little head this week. And if it's not obvious by now that Jerome Ford is like hot garbage, I don't I don't know what is going to show it. And uh, we also it's Ravens week. So we're going to go back to the favorite segment of all time, the Ravens hate. So, yeah, we got a great show. Stick around. Let's get us kicked off here back with this Arizona Cardinals game. Right the Browns come out and put up a goose egg as in like they held the Cardinals to zero points. And it would be naive to think that that, that zero points was purely, purely the defense. Yes. The defense went out there and did it. But did you also notice there were no offensive turnovers instead of PJ Walker or Dorian Thompson, Robinson throwing the ball to the opposing team three times and putting the opposing offense inside the Browns 20, they took care of the ball. And taking care of the ball, making them go long fields against the defense, actually worked in the Browns' favor. This last weekend's game, I would say, is the first game that we have seen outside of Tennessee. Tennessee was the very first game. But this game was the very first game we have seen at least in a month second game all season where it played a complete complementary game where what the offense was doing was complementing what the off, what the defense was doing, and the defense helped the offense, the offense helped the defense, and special teams helped both units in either creating field position or getting field position. It was a complete game. And I think the catalyst for starting that complete game was one Deshaun Watson. I know that sounds bizarre to think, oh, Deshaun Watson, blah, blah, blah. You know, every, the cool thing and all the cool kids hate Deshaun Watson because he makes 23, $230 million guaranteed. So I've never been the cool kid on the block, maybe a little bit in college, but may, like I've never been the cool kid on the block. So I'm going to not do the cool kid thing. <clears throat> I don't care if the guy makes $230 million. Let him. Let him make his money. Okay. Cool with him. What I want to see is him play some football. And this week he played some football. Yes, he struggled. He threw passes in the ground. He's overthrowing. And if you haven't thrown it a game, you got to get your mechanics right again. How many Super Bowls, how many playoff games have we seen where the quarterback comes out for the entire first quarter overthrowing his targets? Because he's amped up and he's overthrowing his targets. Well, apparently Deshaun Watson throws the ball into the ground when he's amped up and and underthrowing his targets. It happens. It happens in every single game you can think of. The player has to get himself right. And Watson eventually got himself right, made crisp, clean passes. Watson kept the offense moving. He ran on third down. He made the right throw on third down. He hit the deep ball. He orchestrated an offense in such a way that he was able to move that team down the field and keep them on the field. Okay, so as an offense gains yards and moves the ball, that begins to create shorter and shorter fields if you would have to ever punt, which also creates longer fields for the opposing team to have to drive on your defense. So an offense that moves the ball helps the defense. I know this is a shocking concept because we haven't seen this out of Dorian Thompson Robinson or PJ Walker, but we're seeing it with Deshaun Watson, the offense moving the ball. So as the offense moves, it helps the defense. The defense gets better fields, better field position is able to roll. So let's move on from Deshaun Watson because the Browns have an issue. They have to address and it's not the quarterback. It's not the quarterback. The issue they need to address is the issue that I've been on. If you've been listening to my show for anywhere near the last month and a half is Jerome Ford. And it finally hit me exactly what's going on with Jerome Ford. So I, can, I am here now. You can have my analysis. You will know exactly what's wrong with Jerome Ford. And uh, maybe if I was dedicated and really super into this, I'd do videos to show you exactly what the problem is. But. Essentially, the problem is Jerome Ford is Isaiah Crowell reincarnated. That's the problem, right? Jerome Ford is, in fact, Isaiah Crowell 2.0. Now, I will say he's Isaiah Crowell 2.0 because Ford is an upgrade to Crowell because one, I think he's higher on the IQ side than Crowell. Uh, Two, I think he is a better catch, a pass catcher than Isaiah Crowell. And three, he's actually a lot faster than Isaiah Crowell. So he's Isaiah Crowell 2.0. Now, what makes him like Isaiah Crowell? Well, he's faster and he catches the ball. And what more do you want from that guy? How can you say he's Isaiah Crowell? Well, if you guys don't remember Isaiah Crowell, I'm going to tell you a story about a little joke that go through my house that I still hear. I still hear this joke on Sundays. My son was saying this to me as we were watching the football game. Okay. You guys ever see this movie, Austin powers. Now I know that kind of dates me into the nineties, but if you haven't seen Austin powers, you need to actually go back and watch it. It's actually really funny. It's Michael Myers. He plays both Dr. Evil. Who's the arch villain and Austin powers. Who's the spy. It's kind of a James Bond esque kind of spoof. And honestly, I'm a huge lover of James Bond. I've seen every James Bond movie ever made in order twice over. Okay. And I've seen, I have favorites going to get me on bond. I could do a whole podcast on James Bond. I could do a weekly podcast every week on James Bond and never get bored. But so this Austin Powers character is like a hippie. His heyday was the sixties, free love, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, you know, he's, Gets cryogenically frozen, blah, 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 blah. Go watch the movie. It's actually pretty funny. And the evil villain, Dr. Evil, is clearly Blofeld from the Austin Powers, or from a James Bond series. But that said, here's the scene. Austin Powers was cryogenically frozen. He gets unfrozen, and he's meeting with his new partner, a Miss Kensington. And I'm trying to remember who played Miss Kensington. Um, I will figure this out here as we go. But he's meeting with Miss Kensington, and they're trying to get him to basically do what you, the, the 60s hippies people don't want to do, which is sign release forms to um, <laughs> to identify the, the powers that be from actually having to be responsible for the agent's issues. Uh, Elizabeth Hurley plays – um agent kensington okay there's a whole thing going on with this but anyway so she's trying to get him to make sign these release forms and he's not interested he's on his big jumbo jet his swag shag mobile they're on this he gets her to sit on a bed he's not interested in release forms he gets the bed to start moving and shaking and he starts to pretend oh there's turbulence oh, I fell over, trying to fall over onto Elizabeth Hurley to try to get her to have sex with him. This was this little game, okay? That's what Austin Powers is. It's just funny little spoof. But the part where Austin Powers is sitting on this bed going, oh, I fell over, and, like, falls over in a kind of mocking way to try to, like, get close to Elizabeth Hurley. This, this is the joke with Isaiah Crowell, because Isaiah Crowell and Jerome Ford run the outside zone in the exact same way, okay? And that's this. Here's why Isaiah Crowell would fall over. Isaiah Crowell would start running really fast, faster than he should, toward the end of the offensive line. And then when he finally saw the hole, he was so overcommitted that he would try to plant his foot and stop to change directions. And in doing so, he would lose his footing because momentum was pushing him, and he would fall over. So that became the joke. Oh, I fell over. Oh, I fell over because that's what Isaiah Crowell did. Anytime he ran an outside zone, he completely fell over and you'd lose three yards. This is what Jerome Ford is doing. Jerome Ford is getting the ball and he's running as fast as he can. He doesn't even see a hole. So, I mean, good for Isaiah Crowell to see the hole, but just miss it. Jerome Ford just thinks like, I don't know. I guess the only thing I can say is he's like a, a fifth grader learning to play football, right? He just wants to run to the outside, turn the corner, and run up the sideline like you're going to actually do that in the NFL. That doesn't happen in the NFL. When was the last time you saw anything like that in the NFL? I'm not talking running an alley because teams can get an alley. An alley, by the way, is between the corner and the defensive end. That's the alley, not the sideline. That's the alley. People can get an alley because that's easier to get. But Jerome Ford tries to run all the way around to try to get the edge. So what Isaiah Crowell would do is he would run and he would be overcommitted and fall over, okay, and lose like three, four yards. But what Jerome Ford does is he runs. He either sees a hole and thinks, I'm not doing that, or doesn't see the hole, then tries to loop around the offensive tackle to try to get to the outside to run up the sideline, which is super dumb, super dumb. And he hasn't learned. In fact, he's gotten worse as the season has gone on. That's why I saw this stat on X on Twitter slash X that he's like the fourth most inefficient back in the NFL. I don't even know how there are people in the NFL that are more terrible at that position than Jerome Ford. Cause Jerome Ford is just straight garbage. I mean, he's just, he's awful. He's terrible. Okay. He's like Isaiah Crowell. Just take the football, rub it against your butt. Like it's garbage, man. Cause that's who you are. Jerome Ford is the one man. Drive killer, and I watched it on three drives on Saturday or Sunday, excuse me, against the Cardinals. I can if there was an efficient running back in the Browns backfield that was young, the Browns would be unstoppable. I mean, just unstoppable. But instead, we have Jerome Ford. Jerome Ford will take the ball, run toward the hole, run toward the outside zone see that there's nothing there or what he thinks is nothing there. And instead of doing what Kareem Hunt does, which is why Kareem Hunt has got like his third or fourth contract, which is I can get three yards and just run up and get three yards. Yeah. You know, even if you fall over and getting three yards, at least you got three yards. He tries to go around, which causes him to run more and more backward. So when they give him the ball on first down, you know, it's a three yard loss. Like the, just handing him the ball is like a three yard loss. Now, the only thing that makes up for Isaiah Crowell 2.0 is that Isaiah Crowell made it to the NFL because he did something very, very well. And it's the same thing that Jerome Ford does very, very well. So if you guys remember Isaiah Crowell, the only time this guy could gain yards is if it was a pin and pull or a power play. You had to, like, pull a guard. You had a defined hole. You had the ball is going to run behind the tackle or the ball is going between the tackle and the center, or the guard, or the guard in the center, he had to know exactly where he was running. And then he would run as forward as fast as he can through that hole. Whether there was a hole there or not, he ran into people. And if there was a hole, he would gain yards. This is almost literally what what Jerome Ford is. If there is a defined hole that the ball will be going through, he can run to the hole and up into the hole. If there is no defined hole, he is just going to try to run to the sideline and probably lose three, four, five, six, seven yards that we've watched. Now, if the Browns would simply not give Jerome Ford the ball, the offense would be way more efficient than what it is. Okay, the drives, I I watched three drives stall out for three and outs because on first down, they gave Jerome Ford the ball, he lost five yards, and they ended up having to punt. It's, he's a drive killer. He is a one man drive killer. So until they can figure out how to teach him to see a hole, maybe it's like the major league where Rick Vaughn can't throw a fastball or can't throw a strike until he goes and gets glasses and then he can see the strike zone and he becomes the phenom, but he's already gotten the nickname the wild thing. Like Isaiah or Jerome Ford could be like blind man's bluff, right? He's just like, he just. Doesn't see a hole. So maybe they need to get him those Kareem Abdul Jabbar sports glasses, put them on underneath his helmet, and like then he could see where the hell he's going, see where he's going and make it into a hole. Until then, we're just gonna watch him be the one-man drive killer. It's almost not even worth giving him the ball. I wouldn't even start him, I'd just make Kareem Hunt number one, put Pierre Strong, number two. And if you're in a desperate situation where both of those players are hurt, then you give Jerome Ford the ball, but only run powers and traps and things that have a defined, you are running here. er, You run through that hole. er," And then like, tell him where to go. All right. I have ranted about Jerome Ford enough. I mean, the guy is frustrating. The Browns offense could be so much better if he just like figured out how to hit a hole. I have no idea how this guy stays on an NFL roster. It probably won't be long. Isaiah Crowell didn't last long. Teams knew you're not going to run an outside zone with a guy in the, in the backfield. And pretty much teams know that if you give the ball to Jerome Ford on an outside zone, you're screwed. So the Browns are screwed. Let's put it that way. All right, let's go to break. It's like me, you know, I can find something negative in a 29, 27 or nothing shut out. I can find something negative, but good God, that dude has got some problems. All right. After the break, we are going to hit some Miles Garrett talk, and then it's the return of the favorite segment of this show, the Ravens hate. So stick around for some Ravens hate. All right. And we're back. I am just so impressed this year with miles Garrett. Now you guys have been watching miles Garrett. You may not know, you know how he's so much different and so much better this season than past seasons, but he is. And it's not the athleticism that makes him different. It's the fact that he's now using his brain to think about what's going on in football, to think about how do I approach this situation versus that situation If you guys would recall, you may not, but you can if you want to go back and listen to me talk about the hiring of Jim Schwartz. And I said right then and there that Jim Schwartz's success as a defensive coordinator will rest on the shoulders of Miles Garrett because previous coordinators, Joe Woods, Greg Williams, none of them could get through to him because he came out in the draft. He was super athletic, he showed up in the NFL. And he just relied on his athleticism to make the difference. He did this in college too. Like he was the epitome of every play I'm going to rush the passer and I don't have any kind of awareness of what's actually happening around me. I'm just out there to use my athleticism to, to win a, a football game. And he is such a freak athlete that he can do that and still be all pro. And he's done that in the NFL. But well, what Jim Schwartz has done, and I and I said this because <clears throat> no other defensive coordinator defensive coordinator has gotten through to him. But if you could teach Miles Garrett to actually play the position of defensive end, he would be absolutely unstoppable. There would be no way anybody could block him. If you could combine his athleticism with a knowledge of the game, as in like, this is what's going to happen here. Here's the technique I use here. This is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing that. If those two things could get married in in, in Miles Garrett's head, he would be by far the greatest NFL defensive end to ever play the game. And ladies and gentlemen, he is starting to be that. That is the brilliance right now of, of Jim Schwartz. He has gotten into Miles Garrett's head. He has taught him the techniques that you need to have to play the defensive end position in that in that defense. I was just like, I knew as he was going to a double gap scheme with Jim Schwartz that there are techniques you have to have. You have to know how to scrape a line. You have to know how to tick on pullers. You have to know how to rush the passer with multiple pass options. You have to. And Miles Garrett has been able to skate by without using those techniques because of his athleticism. Well, now he's starting to use those techniques and we are now starting to see him not only be an absolute animal on the field, but we're now seeing especially particularly with the Cardinals seeing teams do everything in their power to stay away from him, which is now feeding people, right? It's feeding the defensive tackles. It's feeding the other people in the defense to make plays. So if you're going to run away from miles Garrett, like every team has ever done before in the history of the planet, Now they're running into Shelby Harris. Now they're running into guy from Missouri that everybody wants to get rid of. I can't think of his name. It drives me insane. Uh, The guy who I said would have a great season, Elliot, Elliot, that's who it is. I can't think of his first. I won't say Jake, but that's not right. Elliot, who everybody wanted to cut. And I said, no, this is his year. And he is having a terrific season, right? He's feeding now these other players. Miles Garrett's, athleticism he now looks at at field goals and figures out how am i going to jump over somebody to do this now he has tried this before and i think there are a film of him trying this before but now he's done it more intelligently he's like okay they're not going to do this i'm going to get over him i looked at my i was in indianapolis and i saw that and i looked at my son and i was like look we will never in our lifetime ever see that again we will never see someone like miles garrett play in the NFL, jump over linemen and block field goals. It will never happen again. We will never see the crap that this man pulls off again in our lifetime in the NFL. It is absolutely insane what this man can do. And you have to credit Jim Schwartz. Jim Schwartz has gotten into his head, has taught him how to understand the game of football, how to play situationally, how to understand as a defensive end, this is my responsibility. This is what I'm doing within the scheme that allows me to succeed and allows my teammates to succeed. And as he, like Michael Jordan in the NBA, figures out that this is not a one-man show because he's played like it's a one-man show for a long time. As he has figured out, when I play within the scheme, it's better for me, it's better for my teammates. We all win when we all play the way we're supposed to play. And credit to Jim Schwartz, who has like turned Miles Garrett into from already a hall of famer to possibly and in my opinion he will end up becoming maybe not statistically but athletically and intelligently the greatest defensive end of all time it will happen folks given that Schwartz has gotten to this guy's head and taught him how to play football so kudos to Schwartz to get inside his head when nobody else has been able to all right speaking of the defense it is time my friends It is time that we approach the question. It is time that we approach the week preview. I'm actually a Ravens fan. Go to hell. You know what? That's worth listening to again. I'm actually a Ravens fan. Go to hell. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Ravens hate, and i I've been I've been hating on the Ravens all season. I really have, and you probably think, "Oh, Joel, why the heck would you hate on the Ravens? What the elf, man? They're like seven and two, and they're beating up everybody." Well, first of all, you got to understand he's played a lot of teams. His first four games were almost entirely against either quarterbacks that were hurt, or they were against quarterbacks in their first ever NFL start, including C.J. Stroud, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, Anthony Richardson was the second NFL start before he got hurt. And then they ended up getting beat by Gardner Minshew. So, you know, put that out there. The Ravens had have have had a little easier road to go than most people. I mean, when you get, you know, a lot of rookie quarterbacks in their first NFL start, you're going to beat a lot of people. But not to be outdone, there's a segment out there that believes that the reason the Ravens are winning is because of their explosive offense which I contend is garbage because they actually abandoned the air raid two weeks into the season or three weeks week. Week three is when they abandon it. So I'm going to check the strength of schedule here on the Ravens real quick because I want to see, I have a hard time believing. Uh, they're 13th in their, no, their second to power rank. So I can find their strength of schedule. Well, they have the 13th strongest or 13th strongest or toughest schedule up to date meaning they're like middling, right? They're just middling in their in their schedule. But I think the schedule is middling for them because they've played teams early that have had rookie quarterbacks early in their start. I mean, I remember saying week one, they basically got a uh, college warm-up football game because they got C.J. Stroud on his first NFL start. That would be a different game. if If the Texans were going to play the Ravens next week, that would be a very different game than what it was week one but I digress. I'm not here to talk about the defense. I'm here to talk about the offense because I was doing some research on the offense and I saw an idiotic article and I just can't help be blown away by the stupidity. I read on major websites that just like fawn over the Baltimore Ravens. This one's called five stats that Prove Todd Monken is excelling in the role of Ravens Offensive Coordinator. Now, I bring this up because I have said that Todd Monken is probably going to get fired at the end of the year, and I will be surprised if he's not fired at the end of the year because they've completely abandoned everything that they do with the air raid. But to prove that, claim, you'd have to, I'd have to explain the air raid to you and why they've abandoned it. But this article is actually going to explain how they've abandoned the air raid if you know what you're looking at and how it is Basically, Baltimore is like improvising because they're screwed when it comes to their, their passing game. So let's go through the five points, the five stats. Which some of these stats aren't even stats, by the way. Five stats that prove that Todd Bonkin is excelling in the role of Ravens offensive coordinator. This one is on Yahoo.com, sports.yahoo.com, written by a Glenn Irby. I have no idea who these people are. I write about sports intelligently and I can't get crap, but some Glenn Irby gets on Yahoo. I think what I need to do is write hype pieces. But let's go through point number one. The Ravens are the among the lead leaguers, league leaders in explosive plays. Now, it's always interesting when you see a stat like this to ask yourself what's an explosive play? Well here we're talking about a rush of greater than 10 yards or a pass greater 20 of 20 yards or more. Now, the fault I have with this stat is that it is a a counting stat. Okay? Now, if the red flags aren't going off yet, they will in a second. Basically what somebody has done has counted the number of plays these people these teams have and then put them into a chart and then said oh, my God, look at this. Here's the problem. Not everyone in the NFL has played the same amount of games. Every team in the top 2, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, out of, let's say, the top 15, the top half of the NFL, are all teams that have played eight games. Okay. You'd expect that, right? They have an entire game to get more yards, you know, rushing yards of 10 yards or receiving yards of 20 plus to constitute an explosive play. So the fact that the Ravens have actually played eight games is already going to bump their numbers up higher than, say, the Browns, the Steelers, the Bengals, all I think who have had their bye week already. Uh, The Ravens, I think, are the only team with a later bye week. But not to be dismissive, because they apparently seem to be number two in the big plays uh, with 35 rushes of 10 or more. Shocker with Baltimore right there, right? And 28 of receiving passes over 20 plays. Now, of the top five, I'm going to list this list for you, right? This will tell you a thought, too. So number one is the Miami Dolphins. Number two is the Baltimore Ravens. Number three is the Detroit Lions. Number four is the San Francisco 49ers. Number five is the Chicago Bears. Number six is the L.A. Rams. Number seven is the Atlanta Falcons. Number eight is the Chiefs. Number nine is the Colts. Ten is the Broncos. Eleven is the Vikings. Now, if you haven't seen garbage teams, there are garbage teams. Like, number five is the Chicago Bears. so They're probably going to have the first and second pick of the draft. Okay? They have explosive plays. I mean, has this translated to points and has this translated to victories? I don't know. But the, the Ravens are number two in explosive point uh, explosive plays. They are number one in rushing, and I believe they are number five or six, maybe even lower. Oh no, they're like eight or ten, to eight and ten range in passing plays. Which means the Ravens are running the football. That's what they're doing. They're running the football, and Todd Monken is an Error rate offense, which is a throw the ball across the yard, run if you have to, but throw it if always, 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 always throw it. And the Ravens are not getting their big plays on throwing the ball. By the way, do you guys know? I'll just tell you because it's a fun stat. What is the one team that comes in at number 12 who has not played eight games? That would be your Cleveland Browns. That the Browns have more explosive plays than, or they have the most explosive plays of teams who have played seven games which means you're not comparing apples to apples. You're comparing apples to oranges. It's just a stat to make something look good. It means nothing. If anything, it tells you the Ravens are not throwing the football. They're running the football. And we all know because we're Browns fans, we know that Todd Monkett is allergic to running the football. So we know this isn't due to Todd Monkett. But that's stat number one. Stat number two, Patrick Ricard and his many roles. Patrick Ricard has played fullback, tight end, and offensive line in this offense. First of all, what what does that have to do with anything, right? I've seen Browns have, like, Nick Harris has played fullback. He's played tight end. He's played offensive line. So because Todd Monken does it, he's an absolute freaking genius, and the air raid is terrific. Okay, you got a 300 pound fullback. Why wouldn't you use him this way? Every NFL coach in the history, well, i say the history, in modern NFL history, any NFL coach worth their salt can take a player and push them all over the place and use him effectively. That's not Todd Monkin. In fact, the Ravens were doing this with Ricard long before Monkin showed up. And Monkin, early in the season, didn't do this with Ricard because I, yes, have watched all these games didn't do this with Ricard. It's only within the last two or three weeks since I quote, I say they quote, abandoned the air raid. They started even doing this with Ricard, but here he is not running the air raid, but my gosh, Todd Monken's a genius because he's moving Patrick Ricard around. All right, let's move on to stat number three. And I don't understand. This is even a stat. Stat number three, Todd Monken is an offensive scientist. Uh, that that's the stat. Apparently, I don't even know what to make of this. Oh, here, here's here's the other stat. Baltimore receivers are open now, thirty-two percent of the time, as opposed to twenty-three percent of the time last season. So now they're comparing a season a, a stat from this season to last season. That he's saying the Ravens wide receivers are now open more than they were last year okay then if they're open more then why don't you have more explosive plays in your past game but apparently we're not asking this question because that would be intelligent and that's what you're getting on what the elf was that this is why we ask what the elf is that what the elf is that stat that's not even a stat wide receivers getting open now i want to know is can lamar jackson throw the ball to the wide receiver And given that, you know, they have eight games and they're in the middle of the pack of explosive plays on the offense, in the offense, excuse me, middle of the pack in the league with an air raid offense, and the air raid offense is designed to create passing explosive plays, I think there's failure happening here. I think the stats reveal that there's failure happening here. I'm standing my position that Monkian will be fired at the end of the season because this crap ain't working in Baltimore, and they've reverted to a run game. But let's look at the next stat. The next stat. The Ravens are spreading teams out to run. Oh, my God. Todd Munkin must have invented the, the spread offense because that's what the spread offense does. And the air raid is an outgrowth of the spread offense. The spread offense was created to make teams, defenses in particular, Defend every blade of grass. It was typically called or initially called the basketball on grass situation where you put receivers out there. But the whole point of the spread offense was to run the football. Period. That's what the spread offense was. It started in the mid 90s. It came into real in its heyday in the early 2000s. Think Urban Meyer in Florida. This is what the spread offense is. You spread teams out and run the football, put receivers in space in an attempt to create mismatches. This has been going on for 25 years, if not longer. But apparently Todd Monken's a genius because Baltimore can run the football. Now that makes sense, right? Baltimore can run the football because we've seen that they have a lot of explosive plays running the football. Not as many as the Dolphins, but you know they have explosive plays running the football. But that's who Baltimore is. That's who Baltimore's always been. That's what Todd Monkin was brought in to change. But apparently, if you line people up outside and make teams spread out, you can run the football better. If this is what Todd Monkin has brought to the Ravens, then, my God, I need to be offensive coordinator of the Ravens because I can make that money. So now that we've gone through stupid stats – there's a last point is called the general stat. So Lamar Jackson, apparently according to pro football focus, and if I haven't done my pro football focus rant, um, let me just give you the brief, 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 brief pro football focus rant pro football focus consists of guys like me who have experienced coaching, watching film, guessing. Okay. Guessing what this they're supposed to be doing on the play, which in some respects, you can do pretty easily. Like, all right, I know what that play. It's this, this, this. But you don't know the nuances of the rules or the specific rules for the game plan of that particular day. Maybe they're attempting to do something with one particular player. They Maybe they want to make it look like you're doing something when you're trying to do something else. This is not known. And then that coach who's watching that thing says, yes, they did that. Or no, they did not do that. And that's how you get your statistics, quote unquote, of a PFF grade. These things mean nothing to me. Okay. To me, PFF grades are not even worth the paper they're printed on. It's not even worth reading. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're good, smart, intelligent people there, but they don't get my money. So according to pro football focus, um, he had Lamar Jackson's efficiency is on track for 3,500 yards passing. Um, I don't even know what the hell that even is about. So, which would apparently be a career high and an 86.2 passing grade for Lamar Jackson. Now last I knew an 82 passing grade, isn't the greatest. Um, it's good. It's not great, but monkey was brought in to make them great. And this article is about why the air raid is succeeding. Okay. Right. Five stats to prove that Todd Monkin is excelling, not just succeeding, but excelling. And he has an average quarterback. He turned Lamar Jackson into an average quarterback. Um, I mean, maybe that is excelling. Maybe you took a guy who can't throw the football and can't read defenses and you taught him how to throw the football. I mean, okay. Maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe, maybe that's, I mean, all these numbers that you're given 5.5 big throw rate, 2.98 seconds to throw the football. These are all stats that are given out there that are relative to Lamar Jackson's career prior to Todd Monkett. So he has improved the quarterback play. However, that quarterback play has not translated into explosive plays, has not translated into an air raid offense that's destroying opponents through the air. All it is translated into is, hey, we've thrown the ball a couple times and now we can run the football better. Nothing has really changed in Baltimore. You stop the run game, you beat that team. Period. And what complicates stopping the running game is the fact that you have a quarterback who is extremely fast, extremely twitchy, and extremely good at running the football. So you now have a two-headed monster in, in an NFL that most defenses don't account for a quarterback in their run schemes. It's a gimmick. And the gimmick ran out, so they fired their last offensive coordinator and now have a new gimmick. And this gimmick will run out by maybe week three when they abandoned the whole thing. And now Monkin, in my opinion, is still going to get fired because he's doing a terrible job, which I'm happy for. I mean, I'm happy for. So what does this mean for this week? It's actually pretty simple what's going to happen this What you need to do to win this week? And first and foremost, what you need to do is move the football. You need Deshaun Watson to relax, hit the open receiver, and play football. If Deshaun Watson can move the football gain 1st downs, Keep moving it. The Browns are going to win. That allows the defense to stay off the field, place them stay rested because the Ravens entire game plan is basically trestle ball. That's what they do. They run, they run, they run, they run, they run, and they pound and pound and pound trying to wear out the defense to the point where like the defense is so tired that they just like, they can't stop the run. That's the football they're playing. But if you keep the ball in your hands, and you keep your defense off the field, you're going to win the football game. That's how the Colts beat them, by the way, because they have running backs in Indianapolis that we saw that can run the football, and that's how they beat the Ravens. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have ranted enough on the Ravens. I do hate this team. They are so overhyped, way way overhyped. It is unreal. And the five stats that prove that Todd Monk is excelling in the Ravens offensive coordinator is a complete joke with logical inconsistencies. I mean, if I wrote this stuff, it's just garbage. And yet these people get on Yahoo. I don't even understand. I don't, maybe I just don't know the right people in the business. I don't know in that life though, who, you know, not what, you know, because clearly if it was what, you know, this guy would never get published. So anyway, I want to thank you guys for checking me out this week. Let's uh go Browns. Let let's let's get ourselves a big victory this weekend. Thank you for listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast. Please like, subscribe and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow host Joel Cade on Twitter at the Left Guard.